Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Axiom Principle. I'm your host, Dr. G. Today, we're going to discuss something that's a little bit more close to my own uh, personal experience. And on top of that, it's completely nonpartisan, has nothing to do with identity politics or the uh, religious side of what I usually co- uh, cover on this, uh, this podcast. This one's going to be uh, a lot darker than I'm, I'm normally doing and a hell of a lot more personal. So I wanted to go over the effects and the perception of depression. A lot of people hear uh, the term depression and assume immediately that uh, it's just mood swings or it's uh, just kind of a mental illness maybe. Uh, There's a lot of stigma around it too. Like if you're mentally depressed, then you're you're uh, just unable to function or, you know, people kind of tread lightly around you and people's behaviors towards you change. So I wanted to get into that a little bit because it's something I noticed because in the past I have had severe depression and I've been medicated for it before as well. And I'll get into that in a little bit. I'm going to cover it, my personal experience with this conundrum later, but it was also what triggered me to become a doctor as well, uh, going through this stuff. I wanted to understand it more, and I wanted to understand how people think more. Because um, depression can be, uh, it, it's, it's something that will live with you for the rest of your life. That's one good way to put it. And most people don't realize that. And there's good reason why they don't. So uh, first off, let's go through um, the definition of depression, the various different types you might hear or see of depression, how it can get caused, uh, what kind of treatments there are for it, and that sort of thing. And then at the end, I'll I'll get into my personal experience and try to describe uh, how Depression can really just kind of wreck your life if you allow it, uh, or even end it, to be honest. So the the APA, American Psychological Association, and their uh, DSM-5 journal uh, classified depression, uh, major depressive disorder, or clinical depression, as it might be called. It's a basically a mood disorder. So if you've ever been depressed in your life... Um, you may know how it feels and it can cause you to um, it it kind of slows your ability to think, feel, handle daily activities. You might sleep more, eat more or less. 
uh, or sleep less. You might get insomnia too. Um, it can affect how you work or maybe you don't, or maybe you just don't want to work. Um, but the key is to really have what they consider clinical depression. This all has to be with you for two weeks, at least constantly. Like there is not a break or not a time in that two weeks that you actually switch moods and actually feel good that day or feel happy that day or come out and like, yeah, I'm going to get things. Things are off my mind. I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, no, it, it, it sticks with you. So here's some forms of uh, different types of depression that you might uh, experience if you've ever had it. So the first one um, on my reference list there, if you want to go check that out yourself, it's called uh, thymia or persistent depressive disorder is what it's called. And in this, what happens is you have it for at least two weeks uh, and you're basically depressed the entire time. And uh, it can get really bad some days and not so bad the other days, but all in all, you're just pretty much depressed the whole time. Um, for it to be persistent, it has to go on for two years. There's also prenatal depression, which is uh, also known as the baby blues. Um, some uh, females or ladies get it right after they had uh their child and it's it's uh usually like you get depressed you start worrying about um you you may get exhausted you start worrying about if you're a good mom or not or the health of your child and it, it kind of it really messes with your head um especially new mothers uh really have a tough time with this one in particular you've probably heard on the news a few times or maybe on uh the local news channel where uh, a lady who just had a newborn kills her own child. That's typically what they'll see is uh, somebody will associate that act with postpartum depression. Um, They just, they lose their damn mind and take their child life for whatever reason. And it's, you could almost guarantee that that person had prenatal depression in that case. Or um, there might have been other factors too, but it's been known to happen. It's it's pretty messed up. There's also psychological depression. Um, and that usually is associated with depression plus something else. So um, say you have uh, delusions or you hear things or you start seeing things and you're always depressed or you might get hallucinatory, uh, like audible kind of delusions. Uh, it, it always has a depressive theme around it as well. So you hear voices telling you how, how much of a piece of crap you are constantly. Or uh, you start believing things that aren't true, like everybody hates you. There's no evidence of that, of course, and everybody says otherwise. But, you know, people are trying to take care of you, and you just think that they're actually doing it to uh, – get close to you and then ruin your life or something like that. It's really kind of psychotic. This psychotic depression has actually been depicted in movies before. When you see somebody that's kind of freaking out and really kind of depressed and, and they'll like somebody that's trying to help them and be kind, they'll be, uh, 
really jumpy and edgy toward that person. Like, no, you're just trying to destroy my life or trying to kill me or something. They'll get kind of crazy because they're hallucinating. They're delusional. Plus they're depressed. Like they're never happy. There's also seasonal effects to depression. Um, These seasonal ones usually are winter months or fall. Um, You'll see it when it, uh, in higher altitudes too, ironically. I read a study not too long ago because uh, I used to live in Utah. I grew up in Utah and there's heavy winters there. So sometimes you just get shut in and you can't get out (laughs) because of the snow and it actually can cause depression. It'll make you miserable and just think your life sucks and you start getting withdrawn and maybe you gain some weight. Uh, You sleep a hell of a lot more just don't want to do anything. You're not happy. Um, and it usually co- aligns with when it, when winter hits and it gets better over the summer. And it's, uh, kind of associated with, uh, social withdrawal, meaning that you're not around your friends and family because, well, you got six feet of snow at your door. You're not going anywhere. Right. Um, it's not always like that, but usually like if it snows and you just don't want to go out and do anything, um, that's that's usually what you would consider uh, seasonal depression. And then there's bipolar. Now, bipolar is uh, what I would consider uh, more of a psychological or psychosis version from depression. It's not really depression, but depression is kind of a part of it. So basically, you, you have uh, extreme high and extreme low. You're never kind of in the middle. So you go from uh, you go from really kind of depressed, everybody hates you, and just miserable to completely flipping it and just loving life to every extent there is, and it's really kind of messed up. It's you go from one extreme to the next, and there's really nothing in between, and you do this quite rapidly. So it doesn't happen like uh, you'll be sad one day and then happy the next. No, it's like you're sad for 30 minutes or so. And then all of a sudden you're just ecstatically happy. Like nothing ever happened. And say, to give you kind of a morbid example of this, say your, your, your dog got hit by a car and you witnessed this and you have bipolar disorder. What would happen is you'd be sad that your dog died and miserable. And then like, 30 seconds right after, like, ah, it's okay. I'll just bury him in the backyard. No problems. And just, like, all chipper and happy, but your dog just died. And then maybe while you're burying him, you get depressed and start crying again. But then in the middle of it, you're like, yeah, I'll just finish this up. And it's just like you just flipped from one one extreme to the other for no rhyme, no reason. It's very bizarre behavior, and it's not necessarily – Consider depression, but it's associated with it, if that makes sense. So the DSM-5 has uh, many other kind of uh, disruptive or depressive disordered disorders that have been added, but those are the most general ones that you would see in most people. And it can be... Um, it can be associated to a lot of other chemical changes that happen in your body. That's just regular 
chemical changes and you don't have any uh, control over it. Uh, one of them that occurs in women kind of frequently is the premenstrual dysphoric disorder where you're, you're uh, on your period and you basically get so depressed you don't want to deal with anybody. You might get angry and snap at people and it's just it's because your body chemistry has changed for that particular time and it kind of messes with your head at the same time that kind of stuff is is perfectly normal but it's not and it lasts longer in a week but it's not necessarily something you need to treat with drugs or do anything about it's just for that period of time your your body chemistry just kind of changed and you got to deal with it so next, I'd like to give you some signs and symptoms that you would normally see if you know somebody's depressed, or if you are depressed, you'll notice these yourself. And if it's been ongoing longer than two weeks, like I said, then there's some things that you should probably do to try and stop that. So it needs to be every every day, most of the day, for at least two weeks. And I'm talking... General working hours every day, or there might be an hour or two in there where you feel normal and just fine, but most of the time you're just you're just miserable. So it's persistently sad, anxious, or empty, like you feel nothing. You feel hopeless or pessimistic. You're irritable. You feel guilty, worthless, or helpless. You lose interest in doing anything. You just don't want to do anything. No hobbies, no activities. You're just no. You're just done. Decreased energy or fatigue. Moving or talking slowly. That often happens. Just slow down. You don't want to exert too much energy. You don't want to work fast or move fast. You don't want to run. Just just don't. (laughs) Feeling restless or having trouble sitting still, which is kind of against the other one, but this is like a nervous twitch is what it's like. Like, having your leg bob for example is an exa- is an example or you just can't sit, sit still in a chair um you keep switching your seat or moving your legs around whatnot concentrate remember or make good decisions you have difficulty doing any of those tasks like you just can't keep focused sometimes you can't remember things um or sometimes you have a hard time to kind of make a decision on something that's menial like should you buy this or not that type of thing um, sometimes you have a hard time sleeping. Either There's two things to this. You could either uh, not sleep enough or sleep too much. Uh, sometimes you don't like getting up in the morning. Sometimes you oversleep. There are a few examples. So you, you sleep too much and you, you're supposed to get up at 8 o'clock, but you sleep till 10. Uh, you have tar- problems getting to sleep in the first place. Uh, your appetite changes. This is pretty common, actually. You'll eat too much is usually what happens. Uh, you'll hear about the uh, guilty eating, that type of thing. It's pretty normal for people to have depression that just they, they eat too much. And here's some of the more uh, disturbing ones. Thought, thoughts of death or suicide or suicidal attempts. And this does and can happen a lot. Uh, aches or pains, headaches, cramps, digestive problems without clear physical cause and don't use it with treatment. So 
like you get stomach cramps for no reason, pains in your joints, headaches, migraines in particular, that type of thing. These are all kind of signs that you might have depression. And all of these, especially the mood one, is probably the easiest one to identify. But all of these, if you've had these for at least a couple of weeks, what you should do is go talk to a doctor, not your general practitioner or anything like that, either psychologist or psychiatrist, one of the two. One of them is going to be able to help you talk to your problems. The other one's going to medicate you. So here's the fun part. So there's three or four reasons. Well, there's four reasons, essentially, of one, why you would have depression to begin with. And this is where it gets kind of tricky for anybody that may think they have depression because it can be a combination of all of these. So it can happen at any age, but often begins in adulthood. So kids can get depressed, but usually that's not the case because they're still developing at the same time. But it could be genetic, biological, environmental, or psychological. And it's usually a combination of these that triggers and causes depression. Depression usually exists in midlife and older adults. So the older you get, the worse it gets. Uh, It usually comes with other serious mental illnesses, um, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and Parkinson's, just for a few examples. The condition's worse when depression is present. And uh, the medication you take can cause, for for those conditions, can cause depression. Um, The the biggest risk factors for depression is uh, personal or family history of depression, major life changes, trauma, or stress, and certain physical illnesses or medications. So there's a couple ways you can treat depression. You can use medication or you can use psychotherapy or you can use a combination of the two. So so you get on a specific drug and you go and see a therapist once a month or once every couple weeks or something like that. But (laughs) if those two don't work, it is possible that electroconvulsive therapy and brain stimulation Therapy might be an option. I don't recommend it to be perfectly frank um, because there's no conclusive evidence that I've seen thus far that, you know, shock treatments essentially work for depression. Um, There is some issues with uh, electroconvulsive therapy. Um, They have been able to test people that were uh, under an MRI essentially um, and found that it it does seem to have a, a chemical effect in the brain. So let me get over to the other uh, the other uh, reference real quick. So this one's from Psychology Today, and um, Let me read you a little uh, thing under the causes. I wanted to bring this one out because I thought it was pretty interesting. I've I've actually seen some of these scans myself, so I thought I'd share this one a little bit too. So the research shows that it's 
a, a disorder of the brain, absolutely. It's a chemical imbalance, essentially. And brain imaging has shown that the brains of people who have depression look different than those without. The, uh, re- the parts that regulate your mood, essentially, uh, sleeping and appetite and a couple other behavioral, they, they look to be functioning abnormally compared to a normal functioning brain of somebody else. Um, and it looks like the neurotransmitters in your head are kind of out of, out of balance for whatever reason. Um, but unfortunately, even the imagery doesn't really show why or how it started or what caused it. Um, but there is suggestions, like I said, of the four reasons why you might have this. So there, uh, the first one I wanted to go over is the genetic link, the claim that uh, depression may run in the family. This certainly seems to be true because – what happens is they look at genetic studies going back to the parents and grandparents and so on and so forth. And if any one of those have been diagnosed with depression, clinical depression, there seems to be a trend with the children, not all of them, but um, those that have parents that were depressed might actually have depression as well, kind of runs in the family of a, of a sort. So they're thinking that it's, there's a, a genetic link because it runs in the family and it's just sometimes the depression. So clinical depression is one of them that seems to run in the family. The bipolar disorder seems to also run in the family, but it's not exactly depression. Like I said, um, psychotic depression seems to also run in the family and the persistent one also kind of runs in the family. At least it's what they've, they've noticed. So I want to get to the part um, that where I start talking about my experience with with all this um, thing and why I say it's a weakness of will in my description um, because it seems to be treatable both with medication and therapy and you can come out of depression and basically cure yourself as it were but not without any small effort. I want to I want to outline that explicitly because just because I say it's a weakness of will, it, there's a big saying that I think everybody should know. If they don't, they need to learn it and that is the it's always easy to say I should change, but it's the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to change yourself. Is another way of saying it. And what's usually meant by that is, say, say you have your uh, New Year's resolution to lose weight, to, to look more healthy, to be more fit. Well, to do that requires – it's easy to say, right? I just want to lose weight. But to do that, you need to change your behaviors. You need to change your eating habits. You need to change your exercise routine. You actually have to keep that up and maintain those behaviors in order to change. Easier said than done is another phrase that goes with it. Sure, I want to lose weight. Getting that done is uh, a monumental task. It's nothing simple. It's a lofty goal and a good one to be true. But back to the subject, depression is kind of the same thing. I'm sick of being depressed. I'm sick of feeling like this. I want to change. Making that change, your body will fight against you because it's used to 
being that way. It's miserable. So one of the uh, things that run with the genetic link that I found interesting is it it's partially true, and I think it's more has less has to do with genetics and more has to do with environment. So if you are raised by parents, for example, who have depression, you tend to pick up environmentally from your parents on how to behave, you know, the social interaction between two and four. You learn a lot of those social skills then. I tend to more believe that 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 your your depression develops because of your environment. There certainly is some genetic components there too, because it's hard to rule that out. But the thing is, is that people that have never had family members in their life have any sort of depression can also get depression, which makes that's why I believe it's more environmental than genetic. Although there's nothing conclusive there, it does suggest that there might be a genetic link. So I don't want to rule that out necessarily. So keeping with that, the trauma, the loss of a loved one, difficult relationship, stressful situations, trigger depression. And after that, once you know how that feels, the brain chemistry changes enough that you can see it in an MRI, it's really difficult to not stay depressed because it it messes with you so much that it's difficult to get out of. So now now I'd like to get into the more <laughs> I've been avoiding it, but this is the most uncomfortable part for me. Um, so I I had depression. I guess I still kind of do, and and not as bad as it used to be for sure. But every once in a while, I just get in a melancholy that I just. It takes me. It takes some serious effort for me to get out of it, and I know the behaviors I can do to get out of it, so it helps. But um, what happened for me is uh, at the age of eight, and this is probably where it started, because uh, I, I definitely had the behaviors as a child that they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me at the time. And uh, at the age of eight, my dad got sick. He got appendicitis. And you would think that's nothing, but uh, the hospital that they went to, um, decided, they treated him, but then uh, released him without any antibiotics or anything. They basically ripped out his appendix and cleaned him up and whatnot and didn't give him antibiotics because I guess they didn't see any infection or something like that. But there was an infection, and that infection grew and spread and got to his heart. So he went from I feel queasy and sick to being in a hospital for two and a half years while I was without him. It was just me, my mom, and my sister. Uh, at the time, my brother's nineteen, twenty. He went off to the Navy. So he wasn't really around. He had a girlfriend, now wife, that they've been together forever. Um and so, yeah, it was just me, my sister, and my mom, and my mom was always crying. Because, well, the love of her life is stuck in a hospital with tubes down his throat. He had hallucinations. He had all sorts of crazy shit that happened to him while he was in the hospital. It was, it was 
it was pretty rough, I have to admit. And it, it still kind of upsets me to this day, just remembering some of the things that I saw. To give you an example, if you guys look on my Twitter feed, you can I look just like him. If I grew up my beard and mustache, I'd look just like him. He's uh he had a full beard, mustache, kind of a rugged look. Um and his hair went down to his his waist. He had long hippie hair. He always kept it back in a ponytail. Sometimes he'd wear it long. Every once in a while he'd braid it just to be weird. But uh, uh, they were going to pull the plug on him. Uh, he sat there for two years. They couldn't find a donor, and uh, they were going to they were going to kill him. So they brought me and my sister to to the hospital, and it was one of the few times I got to see him before. And they they stopped letting me see him. Uh, I like a year before that when they had to put him on um, life support, essentially, like he had a fully functioning brain and he could think and he could, you know, do whatever. But uh, they pretty much kept him in a comatose state for most of the time because he had, you know, he had the respirator tube down his throat. I mean, this is in, you know, this is uh, in the 80s when this happened. So medicine wasn't as good as it is now. And uh so he'd we went to go see him that uh that last day. And uh he couldn't talk. He he uh had to write down on uh pad and paper and I couldn't read it because his hands were all shaky from all the drugs they put him in and he was in the in a bed for two years. He couldn't even lift his arm because he had atrophied his entire muscles. Keep in mind, this is a guy that used to be an iron worker. So he'd lift steel rebar beams and uh, build buildings. He was physically fit. He was a strong dude. And here he is. He couldn't even lift up a pad and a, and a pen to say goodbye to me. So uh, after that visit, a 24-year-old near my house decided to run a red light and died on impact. Brain dead, of course. The rest of his organs survived. And just so happened to be this 24-year-old uh, was a perfect fit for my dad. That, uh, yeah, stuff really messes with you as a ch- as a child. I usually don't like bringing it up either because it's, uh, it's something scary because uh, when that happened to my dad with his appendix and everything, I'm his age now. That's part of the reason why I'm uh, kind of a mess <laughs> is because I'm afraid that that's going to happen to me and then I put my kids through the same shit that my dad put me through at no fault of his own. I mean, his appendix got infected. That's not really his fault, you know? What do you do? Eat a a nasty sandwich at some restaurant? Get sick? We can fast forward from there and realize that that was probably the start of my depression because I I acted out. I got suspended. 
I stopped going to class. I didn't care. I go to the classes I liked. Get some attention from the ladies. This is Utah, by the way. So the attention from the ladies is a hello and let's slow dance with the Bible between us. Although they're so sexually repress- repressive in uh, in Utah that it it, uh, it gets interesting. So you find the real dirty girls real quick as a young kid. It's, yeah, different, especially when you're not the Mormon. You're obviously assumed to be the more uh, promiscuous, not being Mormon, because everybody else is a goody Mormon. They don't do that kind of thing. Uh, sorry, that's a tangent. So uh, moving forward, I, I don't graduate high school. I don't fit in with anybody. I don't really get in fights, but the ones I do, I wreck people because my dad taught me how to fight. So nobody really bothered with me because they knew I, I could fight. But then at the same time, this is back when you don't go tell your teacher that you're getting bullied. You kick the bully's ass or else he won't leave you alone. So I had to deal with that a lot. The the Samoans in particular and the Tongans like to pick on me because those guys are huge and I'm just a little 150 pound kid. So uh, in addition to going through that nonsense with my dad, um, I got bullied every single freaking day. Most of the time I just run away, wouldn't deal with it. I, I was faster than anyone else, which worked out because I ended up joining the track team too. So it was fun to run, but I only did short, short distances. I hated long distance. So in addition to that, I, I guess you could imagine that it wasn't just me that was depressed. My father is now depressed because he was an iron worker. He was the sole breadwinner. He came from a, a time when the man is the one that should be providing for the woman. He was also a only child, as it were. He had two brothers, but um, his mom had been married three times. So it was um, three different fathers, essentially, if, if I remember right. I'm not sure if my eldest uncle, who's in Iceland, actually, I don't, he doesn't even know I exist, so it doesn't matter. But uh, his his younger brothers, um, I believe the two of them were from the same father and then my my father had a different father who died from a heart problem at 40 yeah so it kind of runs in the family messes with your head so two of the markers there genetic uh, physical problems and environmental living through that bullshit and living through utah as a atheist surrounded by mormons so yeah i definitely got a little bit of depression it definitely got worse, though. Um, after high school, I met a lady, and we got married because she got pregnant. I then had a reason to live, to be honest, because before then it was just I was just doing whatever. I didn't care. I never did drugs, though, so that's always a bonus. Um, I did dabble in the psychedelics. But nothing that was addictive. I did that on purpose because my parents were drug addicts. I knew the effects that that would have on people, and I refused to deal with that shit. It's it's destructive beyond all means. It still affects them today. Well, 
Not my father. He's now dead. So go figure. Anyways, I have this child who's now 20. So 20 years ago. And uh, she was mentally and physically abusive. I found, I, I thought she was a pretty good person, pretty decent, little rebellious. Kind of like that about her. But then she started taking it out on me. She would uh, throw things at me. She cut my head open twice. She stabbed me. And that's when I decided that I'd defend myself against women. I've never before raised my hand to a woman, but once I got my head cut open, that that perception changed real quick. Because it was either I get stabbed or I defend myself. And I defended myself. We got a divorce, obviously. I, I had enough when she actually stabbed me the last time with a nail. Um, they didn't really cut the skin or anything. I got a couple red marks. But that nail could have easily have been a knife. That That was it. I wasn't able to take my son with me either. So I left him with a person that tried to stab me and cut my head open. Go to court, and uh, the the judge said I had to go to therapy to see my son. She didn't have to do shit, though. Nothing. Three charges of domestic violence for both of us, because there's two to fight. And uh, all that got wiped squeaky clean, and all her anger issues was with her mother, is what she said in court. Repeatedly. My best friend at the time testified against me. My new best friend, (laughs) who I switched to my best friend, um, incidentally, I attended her wedding recently as one of the bridesmaids. So that tells you how much she means to me and how much I mean to her, if that's anything. Um, My best friend, I'm not married to, by the way, I'm married to somebody else. We didn't. We didn't click like that. She's just somebody I could rely upon. Anyways, another tangent. Um, She testified for me, but after that, they told me I had to go and seek therapy to uh, just to see my son without supervision. Like I was a threat to him, but I'm the one that got stabbed. That kind of shit messes with your mind just a little bit if you if you want to put yourself in my shoes for a moment. Here's a judge telling me you don't get to see your son because you're mentally disturbed. You watch your dad deteriorate and start selling weed when it was illegal, mind you. So it was an illegal act. Smoked it every day. Does so many drugs. Uh, un, he didn't do, well... I should say it's medication because he had somebody else's heart in his chest, but he, the only thing he really did ever was smoke weed. But my mom, on the other hand, she got into the heavy stuff. So getting back to the topic a little bit, you put that all together and this environment that exists for somebody like me will cause you to have clinical depression because this stuff carried on for years 
from the time my dad, I saw my dad in the hospital right up until about a year after my son was born and I left because she stabbed me. You put you put all that together, and I I did. I took the uh, opportunity. I went and talked to a psychologist, and this is that psychologist actually convinced me. She probably doesn't know it, um, but she is the reason I went to get a doctorate. I didn't get a doctorate in psychology because. I've been in IT. I loved computers at the time, so I just went down that route and uh, got master's degree in, in information systems, information management, however you want to put it. It's an MS degree, master's of science. And uh, But I wanted to switch. I've always loved psychology. I wanted to do something around that area. I wanted to know how to influence people, change behaviors, become a leader. I wanted to be a boss, basically. But my background didn't allow it because of heavy IT. I didn't get an MBA. I didn't go straight to college because I had other issues. It was like life hated me for some reason. And everything was against me. It was really awesome, let me tell you. I say awesome now, but I, I and honestly it was it was completely miserable. During this time, when I decided to go get therapy and whatnot, and after I left her, I got in another toxic relationship. This is no fault of hers, but uh, I think she was actually she's actually a really decent lady. But what happened was, all the abuse that was happening to me, I wasn't receiving. I was expecting it, and it wasn't happening. And I went, just I was irritable all the time. I couldn't focus. I felt hopeless, just anxious. And then I started, uh, I had to start taking medication and it messed with me bad. So we tried two different medications and uh, one of them (laughs) made me almost delusional. I thought things were following me and shit like that. It, uh, It made me neurotic almost. And it was just, it made me more imbalanced than it should have. And uh, because of that, some bad things happened. I won't get into it, but uh, I picked up a habit from this other lady that I got together with. And I started cutting. Which is, yay, another sign of depression. It's something that guys actually normally don't do as well, as far as depression is concerned. Most people don't know that. It's, it's usually women that cut themselves. And it's, uh, from what I've read in the psychological studies, it's a method to try to make your pain that you feel inside manifest so that you can actually feel it and it make it stop. Um, that's what I tried to do, to be honest. And uh, dark for another six months. Maybe a year. I don't quite remember. A lot of it's pretty hazy because I got on a different drug that just made me feel nothing. Um, this drug happened to also be recalled and have a civil suit put against it because it had other side effects that killed people. 
fortunately for me, none of that happened. And uh, it was Paxil, for anybody that's concerned or curious. And uh, this one made me feel nothing. And when I say nothing, it's not an empty mood. I neither, I did not feel happy. I did not feel sad. I did not feel thrilled. When people told jokes, I'd laugh, think it was funny. It was, I felt, I think the only way to describe it, for those that watch Star Trek, it's the absolute point where a Vulcan wants to be, where they feel no emotion. That That's how I was. I felt nothing. I wasn't dead inside. Like, all my goals and aspirations came to new light, but I didn't feel depressed. I didn't feel happy. I didn't, I didn't feel anything. It was, it was done. Like I, I don't know how else to describe it. I felt literally nothing, nothing phased me. So I went through therapy for another year and I went through it to try and get it so I could see my son without having somebody watch me while I was seeing my son. To say the least, that was the worst time of my life. And it went on for a good five years. I basically had a supervisor every single time. She would then remove the supervisor because it was inconvenient, because we had to go to a third-party supervisor she would not trust my family, and quite honestly, I didn't either because they're drug addicts. Um, she didn't trust any of my girlfriends. She wouldn't trust my best friend because of reasons. She has issues of her own she doesn't want to address, so figure that one out. So anybody, anybody that lies about stabbing somebody and gets away with it, they have issues. But anyways, for five years, I, I basically had to fight with her. She'd She'd remove the supervised visitation. I'd see my son regularly. I'd say or do something that pissed her off within six months, maybe less. Right back to supervised over and over and over. I finally got uh, modified saying that I no longer have to go through and jump hoops just to see my son. Regular visitation sucks to be you. However, my son started telling me things that was happening to him. Mommy, get mad and smack him. Mommy, get mad and throw things at uh, her new husband, ironically, who she married six months after le- after I left, or almost a year after I left, something like that. When he got 14 or so, somewhere around there, he's in junior high, so 13-ish, 14, he borrowed my MP3 player and recorded a fight. And this fight, uh, some serious violence involving a firearm happened. Nobody actually got shot. The trigger wasn't pulled, but the gun was present. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff just it doesn't stop triggers over and over 
And I wanted to bring that last instance up because it was the last one that affected me. Nothing else has affected me to date yet because it's it's recent enough that I can remember it. But uh, I was able to get custody of my son thanks to this incident and a protective order against her and prove my point. But to give you an idea, getting back to the topic, when I say it's a weakness of will, the only thing that drug my ass out of depression was me. No one else. Not a bit of therapy did any good. Although I, I can't say 100% that that's actually true because what the therapist will do is they'll just listen to you and try to ask you questions that will make you open up and maybe find some of the issues. They won't tell you what those issues are, but they want you to find the answer for yourself. That's what therapy is. Every therapist knows that you can't you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, is the American phrase for this. It essentially means that you can lead somebody to the answer, but if you give them the answer, they get nothing. That's the idea of it. But essentially, while I did do this therapy and I had the depression issues, and I worked on those rather than talking about my issues with crazy person trying to stab me and me cutting myself because I couldn't deal with the freaking anguish I felt inside. Um, there's one lesson that I learned. And this one lesson I hold to heart because it's what pulls me out of depression every single time I start to feel like that. And that lesson was the only thing I can control is myself. I cannot control other people. I can't control how my body works or functions half the time. I mean, I can go out and exercise and stuff like that. But if I get sick, I have no control over that. If my thyroid shuts down, I can't control that. Um, the medical issues I have right now might be related to all the shit that I've been through. But um, it's seeming to be that I might have another issue. So, you know, medical issues also are just oh so fun. But with all that, the only thing that you have left to control is your mind. And sometimes some people don't even have the facilities to do that. But normal instances, the people that don't have schizophrenia or any other debilitating thing like bipolar disorder, we do and we can. We can control those things. So that lesson has stuck with me for a good 15 years now. Maybe a little bit longer than that. Wow, that was a little bit rougher for me to get through than I expected. Um, I guess I was right when I said I'm probably going to need a box of tissues sitting here because, wow, I, I was not... I was not expecting that. But... uh yeah, the, that one lesson, you would think it's just so simple. But like I said at the beginning of this, and well, near the beginning of this, the hardest thing to change is yourself because you have to change your behaviors constantly. And when you're affected neurologically from something like this, it's really difficult to make your synapses start firing in the normal method again. It's very easy for your 
body to just slip back and stop working the way it's supposed to. So you have to constantly drive yourself to not be depressed. Find reasons to make yourself happy. Constantly. And completely, without relenting fury, make it happen. The reason why I say it's a weakness of will is because the way it affects you. Your, your, your environment, your biochemical changes, your psych factors, your genetics, they all work against you on this front. And the only thing that can stop it is you. So you can either let it control you or you can overcome it. And a lot of people haven't figured out how to overcome it. So they allow it to control them. Your willpower, your determination as it is, your willingness to overcome obstacles and boundaries is the precise thing that causes depression to stick and linger and stay with you. It's, it's constantly hounding you. Like he, it's, I don't know how else to put it, but it's like uh, Peter Pan's shadow, except that shadow wants to choke you out and put a guillotine on you. And maybe smack you around a little bit. There's an anime that would be a good example of this too. Uh, Soul Eater. There's the person that has the the weapon in their blood. And that weapon comes out and bullies them. It's a part of them. So it it beats this this, uh, kid up who always seems depressed. And like very self-doubting and self-loathing. It's like that. It's constantly on you. And it won't let you forget how that feels. So you have to constantly fight against it. The, the moment you let your willpower slip and sink is the moment you go right back to depression. So a lot of people don't like that I say that. But what they don't know is I've been living with this bullshit for 30 years. There's uh, things that remind me of it. Like I'll remember things that happened. And I'll have to live with that shit. And it'll come up again. And it'll just it'll just chew at me. It fucking sucks. No. Usually I don't uh, swear on this podcast. So I apologize for that. It it eats at you. Constantly. It's, it's unrelenting. It's demonic. I don't even believe in that shit. And that's how it feels. So. I wanted to leave you in those last few minutes, the things that helped me get out of it and stay out of it and constantly reinforce myself to avoid it. One of the things that helps a lot is uh, that phrase that I run through myself. The only thing that help, the only thing that you can control is yourself. So when you remember things that just drive you to hate life, drink, hit the bottle or whatnot, you got to remember the good things and not the bad. It's it's easy to remember the bad. In fact, they'll prop up all the time. It'll eat at you and drag you down. But if you can associate good things to things that happen to you that's horrible, it, it helps a, a little. The other thing that helps is um, having somebody there that 
may or may not have had depression themselves. In fact, I'd recommend you don't find somebody that's had depression or has to deal with depression because that it, it doesn't help you at all, to be honest. My wife of 15 years, um, 15 years this Sunday, in fact, um, has not, she was depressed when she was dating this other guy and realized it and kicked his ass out of her life. That was before I met her. Um, when I'm feeling miserable, she's always there for me. Always. I've had a lot of situations in my past where it, it comes back up. Somebody or something or, or something will happen. Things don't go the way I plan them to. You know, uh, say I plan a vacation and shit happens that kind of screws it up. For example, um, <laughs> this is really kind of fucked up, but uh, the, the, the week that I planned to take my kids to Disney was the same time the I- Islamic extremists decided to shoot up a Pulse nightclub and killing 50 people two blocks from the hotel that I stayed at. I, I got depressed a little bit because things started running through my head. Like we were at Disneyland. What if he decided to start shooting them places up and my kids got killed? That kind of shit runs through your head when you're depressed. You start thinking of nasty things that happen. You got to stop it. Once you recognize that that's going through your head, you got to distract yourself. You got to think of anything else but that. If you don't, it's just going to drag on and it'll get worse and it'll get worse and you'll drag yourself down and you'll be miserable. And then you got to drag your ass right back out of it. It's, it's unrelenting and never ending. So um, this is probably the, the roughest podcast I've done thus far. I, I really hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> I don't know how you could. It's depression we're talking about. But I hope it helps somebody out there. Because uh, this this is what I went through. Still ended up getting my doctorates. Having some awesome kids. Married for 15 years. I have an excellent job. And uh, I do things like this because I enjoy it. This is... Uh, this has been rough. I hope the links down below in the reference material help you out a little bit. Uh, if you are having issues with depression, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'll help you find a therapist. It's pretty good. Or you can talk to me. I don't mind. Uh, it's only people that have had depression can understand other people that have had depression. And I have some friends that have gone through similar stuff, like uh, loved ones tears them apart and I've been there, and they don't like what I have to say about it. I thank you for uh, joining me on this podcast. Uh, I hope this helps. December is going to be a pretty sparse time, so thank you for joining me, and good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.